0: All right. Good morning. We are ready to embark on a huge journey for the next 30 plus weeks as we go through the whole Bible. And uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that what we're doing is we're taking the major stories of the Bible and connecting them to... The story of the Bible. And uh, as you will read through the Word of God, you will see that there is one major theme of the Bible that connects all the stories of the Bible. And that's my hope and that's my prayer for you is that you read through the story, you will see the connecting points. And so, what we've been doing is, I, first of all, let me just say, I am so glad that so many of you have got the book, The Story. And my prayer for you is that you will consistently read every chapter. So this is how we're going to do it. As you read the chapter of the story, um, when you come into church the next week, I'm going to take those stories and connect them to the story. So it's very important that you read each chapter. You say, Pastor, what is the story? Um, I just came back from vacation and I have no idea what's going on. So welcome. We're glad that you're back from summer. Um, uh, we're going through a book, and what the book does, it's all it is, the story is basically just a book that takes scripture and takes the major stories of the Bible and puts them in, uh, not in verses and chapters, but does it in like a story form, and it's really, really neat. So if you've not picked one up, uh, please sign up for that, and we will get you that book so that you will uh, be able to uh, keep up with us each and every week. So right now, we are in the beginning, and we're going to start right off in the bat in the first book of the Bible. We know that the Bible is made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 40 different authors written over 1,500 years. Yet the most incredible thing about the word of God is its unity. And from Genesis to Revelation, the common theme is redemption. And so that's what I want to bring out today, because here's what's foundational. If we do not get the first three chapters of the Bible, you will miss the rest of the story. The first three chapters of Genesis are foundational in order for us to understand the whole story of the Bible. And hopefully I will bring that into some sense today so that you will see that God answers our questions for us about mankind, about evil, about why we're in the mess we're today, why are we created. God explains that for us in the first three books of the Bible. So let's start off in the very beginning, the first page of the Bible. Let's look at the first verse of the Bible in Genesis one one. So if you've got your Bibles, this is probably the best time that you could ever turn to the Bible because you're like, Pastor, I I don't even know where Zechariah is. I, I don't, I don't. I don't know where the book of Joel is. You know, I get lost in the minor prophets. This is easy. If you've got a Bible or the one in front of you in your seat, just turn to the first book, the first page, the first chapter, the first verse. This is going to be the easiest time you're ever going to be able to turn to the, the Bible. You don't have to look at the index. You don't have to worry. So let's all look at page one. Okay? doesn't matter what version you've got. Page one. Amen? Okay. Genesis 1.1. Here's the creation of the world. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created. Let's all say it together. God created. Let's say it again. Oh, That sounded good. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. The first sentence in the Bible, we see these words in the beginning. God created. So the first three chapters of the bible are vital for us to understand for this reason it answers the three biggest questions in our world today why are we here god created that's why we're here why do i exist god created do i just live and then and then die what is the answer of of existence the second question one of the biggest questions we'll ever ask in our life is is why are we in the mess that we're in? Why is the world the way it is? If God made his creation and then sat back and said, this is good, my creation is good, then why are we in the mess that we're in today? Because if God looked back at his creation uh, and then sat back and said, everything is good, this is good, Then why are we in the mess we see today? Because we don't see a whole lot of good. We're going to answer that question today. Then the third question is, if we're in such a mess, then how do we fix it? And the Bible is the only answer we have to fix the dilemma that man is in today. So for the atheist or for the neo-Darwinist, the question of origins of life or how did something come out of nothing can't be answered If you fall into that camp, naturalism cannot answer the question of love and morals and sin. Yet the Bible answers these questions for us from the beginning of time. We see God's handiwork in creation. Let me just say this to all of you. Let me get very, can I just get very scientific here for just a moment? Okay. So I don't want to blow your minds. We are not blobs that turned into Bob. Okay. See, Naturalistic evolution, uh, evolution teaches that, that the order that we see in our universe today was created out of chaos. And so basically, if you fall to that camp of naturalism or, or everything happened by natural order, basically, if you follow that train of thought, our lives would have no meaning. And at the end, it has no purpose. Yet we understand from the Bible that God is perfect. And that what he created was good, that it had meaning and purpose, and that God created us. God created us for his glory that we could experience his presence in us. That God created us to say, listen, I have perfect fellowship within the Trinity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I want." one pastor explained it this way, that God wanted us to enter into that dance. God wanted us to enter into that experience, to understand what his glory is, to understand what his presence is, to share in that perfect fellowship. Now, I want to just bring out to you the, how perfect God's creation is and the order that we see behind God's creation. And this is very perplexing for the For the astrophysicist, and, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, what we see in our universe today is something that was perfectly designed there 's a perfectly designed plan in our universe. How could this come about through chance? Now One would argue is this: um, If you give something a million years, anything or a billion years, anything could happen. But the problem is the more we discover the more obvious it is that everything is designed by a maker. And what we've discovered through science over the years, specifically through molecular science and the study of DNA and and, and how, how significant everything and how everything works in order, the more scientists are starting to understand that there has to be some type of design. These things could not have happened haphazardly. And so uh, they would, you know, if you're, if you believe in naturalistic evolution, we would say that over so many millions and billions of years, something that, that was small or whatever, eventually created something that has order and that something that has significance. But I would say this, I dare you to smash your watch and see if it puts itself together all by itself. I dare you do it right now. Take your watch, smash it and see if it's going to put itself Back together. I don't care how many billions or millions of years you do that, it will not do that. What watch would say to the watchmaker, You didn't create me? It just started, it created itself and then started ticking and started setting its own time. That's foolish. Someone had to put it into motion. Someone had to put the watch together in order to make it tick. In the beginning, God. Created. Now, I love this passage in Job because God explains this very thing about He has always been here and He's the one that created everything. Because if we don't start there, if we don't believe that God created everything, then we will never find meaning in our life. We will always search for things in this created world to find significance. And how many know? that this world can never bring you ultimate significance in your life. And we foolishly, listen, we foolishly chase after the things in this world to try to find our identity and our significance. And after a while, those things lose their appeal. And that's why people are in the dilemma that they are. Because at the end of their life, they say, what's the meaning? You know, I, I've yet to, to go to a bedside of someone that's dying, and they say, Pastor, can you just get me my checkbook? Because I just want to hold on to that. My checkbook just gives me so much comfort. Or someone says, Pastor, can you give me my bowling trophies? Because I just want to hug my bowling trophies. They just give me so much significance. They don't. Because those things ultimately don't bring us money, or our achievements do not ultimately bring our significance. If we don't believe that God created then our life is going to be a meaningless pursuit of meaningless things that can never satisfy. In the beginning, God created. I want you to listen to Job because this this God says, listen, those of you that doubt my uh, being the creator, Job 38, 4 through 16 says this, and, and, and God answers this question about if we think we're so smart on who created the world, listen to what God says here. He says, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you know so much, where were you? Were you there? No. He says, who determines its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who keeps the sea inside its borders as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thickness, In in thick darkness, for I've locked behind the barred gates, limited its shores. I said, this is far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As light approaches... The earth takes shapes like clay pressed beneath a seal. It's robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? You see, it's funny how we in our knowledge think we know so much. And my question to those who are dogmatic about how everything came into being, my question would be the same as God's question. Were you there? Were you there? No, you weren't. But God was. God was. I was there. God created. These very verses, God responds to man in the foolishness. We think that we know where everything came into being. And I want you to understand that science and faith don't have to contradict itself. In fact, the more we know, the more we realize that there is a creator, one who perfectly created everything. In fact, the opposite is true because we think these two things have to, uh, can't gel together, but they can. Listen, I want you to just listen for a moment to how perfectly our universe is made. That this by no means could ever happen by chance or some, or some natural way or, or just a random order. There has to be a creator. Now, now, here's where I want us to be careful. Because many scientists are, are moving to a design theory where, where, where when they look, especially molecular scientists, and when they be, begin to look at the order of our universe, it's, it's very difficult for someone not to say, there's some designer, there's some master plan. But where I want to be careful is they can't stop there. We can't just step back and say, okay, there's, there's definitely a design but God, sh- listen, God shouts to us through his creation. And in fact, Paul says in Romans 1, none of us are without excuse because God has displayed to us through his creation that there is a maker. But what Paul explains to us, because of the foolishness of man, we chose not to worship the creator, but instead worship the created things. And exchange that truth for a lie. And that's the dilemma we're in today. So as we look at our creation. As we look at a designer that is behind this creation. We must say who is this person. And that we must get to know them. So there's a general revelation that we see through creation. That that man is without Excuse. The moment you look up into heaven, into the heavens, you see the stars and you see the planets, you are without excuse because God said, There I showed you my creation and I want you to know me. But then God gets very specific that through his creation, he said, Here's the means by which man must be saved. And we have to follow that through and say, Okay, God, if there's a God up there, then I want to know you. And God gives us his word that we might know him. And specifically know him through his Son Jesus Christ, amen. so let's look at how perfectly this universe is made that it couldn't happen by chance. Now how many of you um, you liked Star Trek? you were you were truckies, you like Captain Kirk, you like Spock, you, you geeky Star Trek people, you like all the series that followed off on that. You like the Star Trek uh, series, Live Long and Prosper. Okay, good. Um, what's interesting about this show is that the show was based off a simple mathematical formula from scientists in the 1960s. Now, let me explain this to you, because this is pretty interesting. What they did is this formula that, that the whole show was based off was, was based off this mathematical formula. And what they figured was they figured how many suns could be in our universe And then they figured out how many planets could revolve around a particular sun. And then they figured that precisely that planet could be from the distance from that sun, not too close. Otherwise, it would burn up and not too far away or it would freeze up, kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Porridge wasn't too hot. Porridge wasn't too cold. This porridge was just right. Okay, so they were looking at our universe and saying, what planets could be in that that perfect realm of not too far away, not too close. Well, in the 1960s, they figured that there could be 30 to 40,000 planets that could exist with those particular right figures. Now, you think that's pretty cool. So that's why the Starship Enterprise went into the wild yonder to explore these other planets that could host life and it's just interesting that so many of these planets all spoke English it's just kind of cool but anyways okay (laughs) just kind of cool okay so now since then we've discovered a few things due to the Hubble telescope and its data now what is ironic you would think that through the Hubble telescope and able able to see much more into the universe that they would have found many more planets that could be like ours. But what happened is the opposite was true. What they know now is that not only do you need a sun, but you need a sun that gives off photonic energy, which plants need to absorb and live. The problem is that most suns give off huge amount of deadly radiation. Now, here's what makes our sun so amazing and so unique. You can catch the double meaning in there if you want to, okay? So I'm just throwing that out there for you guys who are like, did pastor just do something there? I did, okay? So all you smart people out there, what makes our sun so amazing and so unique? Well, what's interesting about it is it gives off an ample ample amount of photonic energy but here's the unique thing about our sun that makes it different from all the other suns in the universe is that it gives off very little radiation. How many know radiation ain't a good thing? Okay, it's not a good thing. So what is, what is also true about our atmosphere around the earth is that it so perfectly filters out most of the radiation that the sun does give out. It was, it, it's almost as if our sun was perfectly designed for us. Isn't that interesting? Perfectly designed to display our Creator's majesty. For our planet also to even exist. Not only do you need the right sun and I, listen through my study through this, I could give you a million more things, but but for the, for the sake of time, let me just give you a couple more things of, of how specific our Earth is and why we're so unique and why you're sitting here today and we're not hurling off into space. For our planet to sustain life, just our planet alone in Earth, we need a lot of metal, a lot of heavy metal. Rock on. We need there, there needs to be a lot of metallic out there. I mean, there needs to be a lot of metal. See, our Our earth needs to have this molten core. And without it, we would not be able to float the world's water on it. And here's the reason why. Because our planet has a perfect ratio of water to land. And here's what's even unique about our moon. Our moon keeps the earth from rolling. Not spinning, but rolling. Because if it just went off its axis just a little bit, There would be huge climactic changes. So our moon helps us to keep straight. Our planet, not only that, our planet is protected by four other planets from it being bombarded by asteroids. In fact, Jupiter acts like a cosmic giant asteroid vacuum to help not destroying our Earth. Our planet Earth is perfectly placed. Now, what we know, which we didn't know in the past, is the complexity to, to sustain life, and it's astronomical. What we thought in the 1960s, we thought 30 to 40,000 planets could sustain life that Captain Kirk could go see, but the truth is, It's not true. Sorry to burst your bubble. Star Trek is based on a lie. (laughs) Okay, so I'm sorry. Watch the show, but it's just fantasy, okay? If you didn't know that, okay, it's just fantasy. So I'm sorry to burst your bubble. What they now believe for life to exist, here's the probability. It zero 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 zero. Zero, 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 one. Mathematically, none of us should be here right now. That's how how difficult it is to sustain life. So we think to ourselves, Pastor, what does this all mean? Here's what it all means. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. This world was put forth by our creator, God, who designed it perfectly for you and I, that it could sustain life. God's handiwork is all around us there. We listen, we have to ask the question. There is something more in this life than just living and dying. The story the Bible tells us God's plan for mankind, and for those of you that that are here and you think, Pastor, um, my life's a mess. I've made so many mistakes. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if, if you know, um, I really believe all this. I want you to realize that you are not a mistake. And 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 what we see in the first three chapters of the Bible is God's creation, God's creation of of man and man's rebellion against God, which brought sin into the world. See, that's the question we need to answer, that God did create everything perfect. God did create it good. But the problem is God gives man a will. God doesn't make robots. God doesn't make you do what what you're not going to want to do. God did give us a a choice. and, And as we saw in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Just don't eat from this tree. You got this whole beautiful garden, but don't eat from this tree. And through man's rebellion and temptation, they gave in, which brought sin into the world. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in today. So from the very beginning, in the first three chapters of Genesis, God had a plan to redeem man. And it would come through his very own son, who is God, jesus christ and there's two places that i want you to see that god had a plan for man's redemption from the very first book of genesis and if you've got your bibles just look at genesis chapter 3 just flip over a couple pages okay this is very important because you think okay god cast them out of the garden it's over for man they messed up um you know Sin entered the world. Now there's, you know, now they got to work by the sweat of their brow. There's pain in childbirth. And it's just all the things that they had were destroyed. But I want you to see from the very beginning, God had a plan for man. Look at Genesis 3.15. This is a great prophetic verse of God saying that there would be a savior that would come. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her. He, 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 who's he speaking of? He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here we see one of the first proclamations of the gospel message of, we see Satan that's going to, there's going to be enemy, you know, there's going to be strife and, and turmoil between, you know, man and the temptation of the enemy. But yet God says he will come and he will will destroy your works. One of the first proclamations of Jesus Christ coming to destroy the work of the enemy and the sin and the evil that we see in our world today. I want you to drop down to verse 21. Now, what happened to Adam and Eve is this. When they sinned and rebelled, they made fig leaves, right, to cover their sin. They hid from God. They were embarrassed. And what does God do for them that they couldn't do for themselves? Look at verse 21. And it says, Then the Lord God made Garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here we see in the beginning of Genesis the first blood sacrifice. We see the first sacrifice, the covering, their, their fig leaves could not cover their nakedness. It was something they provided for themselves. But God says, listen, I'm going to provide for you which you can't provide for yourself and I will clothe you I will clothe your nakedness. I will provide the sacrifice for you. Fast forward that. God says, I'm going to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself, and that will be my son, Jesus Christ. He will become that blood sacrifice for you. Stop doing it yourself. The reason why there's evil in this world is because man has brought sin into this world, and that's why there's rebellion. But God says from the very beginning, I will provide for you. I will give to you what you can't provide for yourself, and that's my very own son. I want you to notice, even as you read through the story of Noah, you may think, oh, that's a neat story. And the little animals all got in the ark and they woo floated around for 40 days. And then they got off and then they repopulated the earth. But really, what is that story? It's a story about man's rebellion. And God gave them a chance to repent. He was patient with them as Noah built the ark, but they refused to listen. They refused to listen to the preacher of righteousness until it was too late. You see, the ark I want you to see is not just an ark where it was kind of cool and you, you see the little animals and the giraffe sticking his head out the window with that, out the window, which that's really not biblically correct. But anyways, you see, you know, it, 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 you see all these pictures and it's cute and it's, it's a neat story. But let me tell you the story behind this. The water symbolizes God's judgment on man's sin. The ark symbolizes salvation through the water. That ark is a type of Christ. That it was only through the ark that they could be saved through the water. This is symbolic of water baptism. The ark is a type of Christ given by God's grace. The ark only had one door by which they could enter. There's only one door by which we can enter into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus says, I am the door. He's it. There's no other way. You see, that's, here's, here's the underlying picture. We see God's judgment. But, but the overarching picture is that God ultimately sends us a Savior to rescue us from our sins. See, God made everything perfect in his order. And he looked at his creation and he said it was good. He says, you are not a mistake. And God redeems everything through his son. God redeems everything now through his son. And he takes that which was destroyed, that that which was hurt, that which was torn apart, and then through his son, Jesus, he restores it again. And what God's going to do in the end of time is he's going to make all things new again. Here's the neat thing. Here's the neat thing. I read for this? You're already tasting it now in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you are sitting here and saying, God is already making things new in my life after I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying your life is perfect. I'm not saying you don't have problems because how many you know we still live in a fallen world. Can I get an amen? But how many can say that my heart's been changed? My life's been changed. God has restored the things that the enemy has stolen from me, the things that have been ripped apart, my own bad choices. And God has restored that and God has saved me through his son and he's made all things new that I am now a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. In Jesus, so I want to pray for you today because you might be here today, and you might feel like, Pastor, you know, I don't know if I believe all this. I, I I'm, I'm, I want to, but I don't know. And, and I want, I want you to trust the Creator today. I want you to trust His Son Jesus, that He will make all things new. In your life no matter what your past is no matter no matter what mistakes you've made Jesus will nowise cast you out all who come to him he will save but you got to come to him you've got to lay your life down before him in order for that to happen some of you might be here today and you feel like man my life is is, is a mistake that I've made so many mistakes my parents said I was a mistake Um, I just feel that way. I want you to realize that you are not a mistake. That God does have a plan for you. And that plan for you is to come to his son Jesus and allow him to restore all the things that were broken in your life. Our God is a perfect God. And he can take the things that seem so messy and dysfunctional and he takes them and redeems them for his glory, that we might be trophies of his grace. That we might be a shining example that God can take the vilest of sinners and wash them white as snow. That's the testimony of our God and the faithfulness of our God to restore. And so I want to pray for you today. And then this is what we're going to do today. We're going to rejoice. We're going to sing a song today at the end and just rejoice in what God has done. I want you to reach out to the Lord. I want you to realize that your life isn't a mistake, that God does have an order, that God does have a purpose for everything. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But God says, let me use you. Just trust me in this. Don't, don't buck the system. Just trust me it's because I'm using it for my purpose and my glory. If you just allow me to work in your life. Our God is perfect in every way. But we have to trust him. And he's doing greater things than we can ever hope for or see in our life. Amen? So let me pray for you today. Let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. And we need you. We need your grace. We need your love. And I just pray for your people right now, God. Lord, I pray for those right now that feel like, Lord, how can you work in my life? Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in such a real way, that your presence would be revealed to them in such a real way, that you're doing a greater thing than they can ever hope for. God, I just pray right now that you would allow us to trust you, that that we wouldn't see the, the perfectly designed earth and just stop there, but we would see that there's something more To this world. That we would see that. Jesus Christ you're the one. That puts everything into order. You're the the one that puts everything in unity. You're the one that. Puts everything together. And so unless we come to you. Then it still lacks meaning. And so Lord I pray for every heart here today. That they would come to you. That Jesus you are mighty to save today. Thank you that you save us from our sin, that you save us from God's judgment, that you can restore our lives. And so we come to you today. Lord, I pray that we would not be like the people in Noah's day that waited and waited and waited and waited until it was too late and they died in the waters of of God's judgment. In fact, your Word says in the New Testament that it will be like that in the days of Noah. That Lord, suddenly you will come, and for those that are caught off guard, will fall under God's judgment. But you are a patient God, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Lord, help us not to be foolish, to think that we have tomorrow, because our life is but just. What a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. Because we know that once we die, judgment will come. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we make that choice. May we not wait until it's too late. So Lord, we come to you today. And we ask for your salvation to come on every heart here today, God. And we thank you for what you saved us from. Thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. Thank you for being a perfect God. In every way, and we just ask these things, and Jesus wants.